0: If you'll turn with me in your copy of God's Word, the First Thessalonians chapter three. Uh, if you don't have a copy with you, there should be some Bibles in the pews and in, in the chairs in front of you. It's page 987 in those Bibles. Uh, feel free to use that, and if you don't have a copy of your own, feel free to take one of those as a gift uh, from us today. We're in First Thessalonians chapter three, and we'll be reading verses six through thirteen. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, Lord, would you open hearts this morning. Would you fill me with your Spirit and strengthen me to proclaim what is true and what is good and right and beautiful. Lord, it is only by your Spirit that we will be changed and we will know what you have for us today. So we pray that you would work in each of us, Lord, for your glory and for our good and joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, imagine with me that your child or a loved one or a dear friend is traveling overseas in some remote area, maybe they're doing missions work or something like that, and you have no ability to be in contact with them. There will be radio silence for at least a month or two. You're, you're actually not even sure how long it will be. There's no clear date when you will hear their voice again or even see their face. You will have no concrete information as to how things are going with them. And I think as you think about that, you can understandably see that that could be a bit troubling, maybe a bit anxiety-producing in your life. Now, for some of you who live before the ubiquitous nature of the cell phone, this isn't that hard to understand. Not everyone called every minute or checked in. You couldn't check, find my iPhone to see if everyone made it safely. Now, imagine you're the Apostle Paul. You've been forced to leave Thessalonica after a very short period of time. You are greatly concerned for this young church. Though you saw some wonderful responses to the gospel, the people imitated Christ and turned to Him from idols uh, to, to, to serve the living and true God, nonetheless, you are still pastorally anxious for them, anxious like a father would be for his children. And you're not awaiting a phone call. There's no chance at that. Rather, you've tried over and over and over again to go see them, to visit, but you've been hindered by Satan in that process. So when you can stand the uncertainty no longer, you decide it's best to sacrifice your own comfort and to send Timothy to, to basically go garner a situational report for you. And now we come to the point where Timothy has returned. He's come back to Paul with that report of how things have been in Thessalonica while they've been separated. Now, now mind you, this was not a quick trip. Uh, this trip by, by Timothy would have taken at least a month. Uh, It's by by car. I think I tried to figure it out that the the travel from the Peloponnese um, down in in Corinth um, or in Athens up to Thessalonica, then back down to meet them in Corinth is about six hundred plus miles round trip. Now he didn't have a car, obviously. He probably took ship a little bit, but walked a lot. Uh, So you figure maybe a week in Thessalonica and at least three weeks, if not more, of travel. So, not only are you now a little anxious about the Thessalonians, but you might even be a little bit anxious about Timothy as well. But now he's come back, and he's brought the report. So this morning, what we are going to look at is that report, and we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see the report itself, the response to the report, and then a request that's even further a response to that report. Paul was greatly comforted by what Timothy brought him, and yet we'll, we're going to see in this as well that his pastoral heart to see the Thessalonians continues. He, he longs for them to grow and stand firm until the day of Christ. That, that, that has never been, that, that's not changed by this good report, by this encouraging nature of the report that he gets. So let's look at verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you. So here he's recalling basically that proverbial call of relief. Though Paul didn't hear the voices of the Thessalonians or get to see their faces at this time, he did receive what he had hoped to hear. He received what he prayed for. The essence of the report is this, they're healthy. They are spiritually healthy. The the text tells us that Timothy brought good news. Now, the word behind good news there is actually the same word that's used to to preach the gospel, Um, which might seem a little bit odd to use that as just news about the Thessalonians because it's almost exclusively used in the New Testament of the proclamation of the gospel. But as you think about it, it really is entirely appropriate, considering it is the gospel and being grounded in the gospel uh, that that worked to bring about this good news in them. And good news like this or the gospel itself, part of the natural response to that is joy, is joy and thankfulness. That's the natural reaction to it, And, and we're going to see that a bit more as we continue through this text. Now, what was the good news? Essentially, what was the good news? It was really twofold. The first aspect pertains to their faith and love. Their faith and love. He he tells of their faith and love, and I love what Calvin wrote of this. He said, this form of expression, that being faith uh, and love, should be the more carefully observed by us, in proportion to the frequency with which it is made use of by Paul. For in these two words, he comprehends briefly the entire sum of true piety. Hence, all that aim at this twofold mark during their whole life are beyond all risk of erring. All others, however much they may torture themselves, wander miserably. Faith and love is essential. So, so, so what does he mean by their faith at this point in time? Well, he's referring, I think mainly he's referring to the solidity of their faith, that it's held firm, they have not wavered, they have not turned back to the idols they once worshipped, but they are firm in their faith in the Lord Jesus. They, 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 They have stuck with that. They know and they understand the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, and in the midst of the afflictions and persecutions which they are going through, for being believers, they have remained steadfast in their faith they continue in faith, they continue in trust of their God. Now, when it speaks of love, and this is something we're going to continue to develop throughout the message, quite simply, this is is an absolutely vital aspect of the believer, of a disciple of Christ. Love is critical to what defines a follower of Jesus. Consider what Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians. Galatians, Chapter 5, or 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It's like, you know, whether you're following this or not, that, that doesn't really... What counts is faith working through love. What matters is faith working through love. This faith and love is what Paul looks for so much. It's what he looks for, and he points out in Believers, Colossians 1, verses 3 to 5, he wrote, "'We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we have heard of what your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven.'" Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So because of the gospel, because of the hope they have laid up in heaven, they have faith and love. And that's what he looks for when he looks for believers. What Timothy reported on was was that which was vital. Now now listen, I may step on some toes here, and that's okay. Um, But notice what he didn't report on. He didn't report on their worship service or large numbers. He didn't report on how great their kids' program was or how good the music was or who they supported in an election. That wasn't what he was looking for. Sometimes I think we get our priorities all janky. Like they just get out of whack. And, and, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. So, to, so what I want you to hear is is what Paul is writing and communicating, that the faith and love of the Thessalonians was what brought him great encouragement. That's what Timothy looked for. The faith and love was what he saw as essential characteristics defining the solidity of the Thessalonian believers. Their faith and love was strong. The church was healthy. And then comes the second part of the report, which would have been just... An absolute breath of fresh air to Paul. And it was this. You all, he, he, he heard that they always remember them kindly and long to see them. Paul's concern that the, had been that the opponents of the faith, and we looked at this through chapter 2 as he kind of defended and said, you know how we were. You know what we were like. And, and so his concern was that the opponents of the faith had corrupted the Thessalonians' view of Paul and his companions. And it didn't happen. In, in, in fact, they had what can only be characterized as deep affection for Paul. There's no ill memory of him, no animosity. Their memories of him were constant, and they were actually constantly kind. They remembered him fondly. So what we see here in, in this report is, is, a, is a, uh, a report of mutuality, of their love and affection. This, this was not a one-sided relationship. So just imagine how good this news felt to Paul as he finally received it. A month at least, that's just of the travel of Timothy besides the time that he waited before sending Timothy to now hear how the church is doing. And so here is the essence of the report. The Thessalonians have stayed true to their faith in God and they love those all around them and those who brought the good news to them. So as you can probably surmise, This would have stirred up a a pretty deep emotional response for Paul. That's exactly what we come to. Look at verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Now, do you hear what Paul is writing For this reason, because of this news, Paul and likely Silas and Timothy at this point as well have been comforted. It's it's almost overwhelming to him. You you can hear the emotion and it will continue to come out more and more as we move through this. So they were comforted. Now, now in what or about what were they comforted? He wrote, in all our distress and affliction. So the question is, to, to what extent is he actually talking about here? To what extent is he talking about? Did this only pertain to his concern about how they were doing? And and so now that was alleviated and their pastoral distress was gone. I don't think it seems to be saying that. I, I don't think that's strong enough for what Paul is writing here. What this appears to be communicating is that the, the, the hearing of the solidity, the vibrancy, the firmness of the faith and love of the Thessalonians, it comforted Paul in all of his distress and affliction. And consider his track record of affliction. Okay, Paul was like the master of affliction and distress. His time in Macedonia and Achaia was not great as far as affliction goes, depending on how you rate the scale. Like, it was great if it was, like, how much did he undergo, but it wasn't because of how much he underwent. I mean, he'd, he'd been beaten, he'd been jailed, he'd been falsely accused and imprisoned, persecuted, kicked out of towns, and rejected. Not the greatest track record for a traveling, you know, missionary. And yet, the news of the Thessalonians cheered them on, gave them courage in the face of all that they were going through. Because the Thessalonians were doing well, they were encouraged. They could continue on through their distress and affliction. The the report would have assured them that the labor, the difficulty, the pain, the struggles, the battles that they endured were not for nothing. Their labor had not been in vain. And how encouraging that would have been, how encouraging that type of news is. I I think of 3 John 4, where John writes this, I have no greater joy, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I can hear that same thing in Paul. The, the, The amount of joy that's coming out because he hears what has gone on with the Thessalonians as he's been gone. They're walking in the truth. Now, this comfort that Paul experiences, it's a pretty significant point, and he actually puts it stronger. He says in verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. This reinforces what he's already written, that the standing fast, the the perseverance of the Thessalonians, it brought comfort, but also energy. It it was almost a, a revitalizing work in his own heart and his soul was a shot in the arm. It was, a, it was a cold glass of water in the desert. The anxiety that Paul felt is eased, and he then is renewed, and he has renewed hope in the midst of his own distress and affliction. He is encouraged by the steadfastness of other believers, despite the circumstances that he had been experiencing, and, and really, despite the circumstances that the, the Thessalonians had been experiencing, they maintained their grip on the Lord, They stood resolute, and that encouraged Paul. See, Paul's own faith was bound together with these believers. And folks, ours is as well. We are the body of Christ. And when one suffers, we all suffer. When one does well, it encourages us. When one suffers well and shows great faith in the midst of it, that thoroughly should encourage us. Many of you might be able to remember the images um, back in February 2015 when I think it was seven Coptic believers uh, were were beheaded by ISIS because they would not recount their faith. And as tragic as that was to see, it was also encouraging because here are, are, are men who said, What can man do to me? Jesus has the words of life. I'm going to go be with him. I'm standing firm in my faith. And how encouraging that is for us. Now now we live. They they may have died, but they now truly live. You see, seeing people hold fast to truth, I I think some of that is, is... with what Paul wrote here, he's, he's actually continuing to encourage them. He's like, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Those who turn away aren't encouraging to the rest of us. This would have been, though, a beautiful reminder to the Thessalonians, and really a gentle one at that. Hey, guys, it's your firmness of faith which which brought about life for us. Your standing fast is actually helping us. We are stronger because you remain strong. It's this beautiful symbiotic relationship that the Lord has set up in the body of Christ. And it's amazing to think about. And then Paul writes in verse 9, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Here already is the third thanksgiving in this letter, which points more and more to how much God was at work in the hearts and lives of the Thessalonians. And Paul, honestly, he just does not know how to express the amount of thanksgiving that would be due to God for all the joy that he feels. Again, you cannot miss the emotion here. Uh, Paul can barely express his joy, and the translators actually smoothed out the original language. Because if you, if you literally put it, um, which we don't speak this way, that's why they smoothed it out, it's perfectly good, but it would say, for all the joy with which we rejoice." Like, it's so much joy that we rejoice with that we're we're overflowing with joy. That's what he's saying. He's like, how how can we give thanks to God for all of that? Humans cannot adequately give thanks to God for everything that he does. And Paul, Paul can't for what he's heard here. All that would be due to God for his work in their lives is beyond our human capacity to give, though it doesn't keep us from giving thanks. As imperfect as our thanks may be, we're called to give thanks because we see that it's God who is at work. Let's see again. Consider what he wrote. They are overwhelmed with joy and thankfulness because of this report of their faith and love. Again, I want to hit this again. It is so true that faithful and loving people are a source of of joy, and a subject of thanksgiving to God. Romans 16, 19, Paul wrote, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Going along with this, I think of 1 John one four, where John wrote this, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It seems weird to read it at first, but he said, we're writing these things to you to, to solidify your faith, to solidify your love so that our joy would be more complete because you continue and you grow into the grace and knowledge of our Lord. As you do that, it completes our joy. That's amazing. Our faithfulness affects others. It really does. Yet that faithfulness does not hinder Paul's desire or his going before the Lord in prayer for them. He wrote that he prayed most earnestly night and day. They've been faithful. They continue. He's got a great report, but that doesn't say, okay, I I can remove them from my prayer list now. (laughs) He's actually, I'm going to keep praying most earnestly night and day for them. And this communicates that it's almost beyond measure how much he does this. There's no way to truly quantify it. It's consistent, it's constant, it's insistent, and it's intense. Now, there are two objectives to Paul's prayer first is to see them, he wants to see their faces. He longs to see them. His heart has not been taken away from them, even though he was physically torn away. But he he wants to see them. There's something about human relationships, and we know this, where there needs to be face-to-face contact. There there needs to be the intimacy in that way. The the church is a gathered community. You know, if you're sick and at home and you watch the live stream, great. Great. But please don't make it a habit of watching the live stream in your pajamas. That's not what the body of Christ is meant to be. It's there for those who are maybe traveling and you're nowhere near a place where you can go. I mean, if you're traveling, find a church there. Use this when you're providentially hindered from being at church. But otherwise, be here. This is what we all long for. We long to see you, and you should long to see us. There's something missing when that's not present. And then the second part of his prayer is when he sees them, he wants to be able to personally supply what is lacking in their faith. Now, this sounds like it could be fairly negative. Like, well, I'm, I'm praying, I want to see you, and then I, I can fix everything that's wrong. That would be difficult to interpret it that way considering everything he's already written. This is why context is really important. You can yank something out and and mess with it. But if you read it in context, you can't get that. You're actually, what you're getting here is the normal pastoral duty of of seeing Christians grow. That's his heart. He wants them to grow and he wants to aid them in their faith and perseverance in growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he longs for. He's not saying, you're slackers, you're pathetic. He's saying, you're doing great and I want to continue to push you further. So considering all that Paul wrote here of the encouragement and comfort he felt from the report of others standing firm, it it just got me thinking about a few things. One, are we allowing ourselves, are we even thinking about it this way, to be encouraged by the firmness, the, the firmness of others' faith, of one another? Which really leads to the second question is, are we engaged enough with others to know how they are doing to actually be encouraged by how they're doing? Or on the flip side, to actually encourage them when they need it? Folks, we need to be engaging well in community. And as we do, we will be encouraged by the faith and love of each other. But further on, a side note, something you can do outside on your own, just let's take advantage of the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Folks, read some biographies of believers over the years. Read of their struggles, but read of their faith. Read of those who stood firm and and let them encourage you and spark thanksgiving to God for those who have gone before as we are connected in the body of Christ. We, We read the Apostles' Creed together that Christians have been reading for centuries and confessing together. We are connected with the body of Christ in the communion of saints. Be encouraged in that. But there's still a little bit more in our text. So now we turn to Paul's further response and his request expressed in a benedictory prayer. So look at verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So this prayer now concludes the the first section of the letter's body, And in some ways, I guess if you really wanted to get technical, you could say this isn't really a prayer. It's not the right pronouns for God, it's not directing it straight to God. And maybe it's just more of some devout wish, but I think it's thoroughly appropriate to call this a prayer. Um, Paul is asking God to be at work. Paul is looking to God in what he is asking. And, And so here we have three parts to this prayer. And the first is the Lord would direct his way to the Thessalonians. It is abundantly clear over and over again in this letter how much he wants to see them, how deeply they are set in his heart. And he doesn't just try harder here, but he asks the Lord to work. And I love that that as, as he addresses this prayer, he says, Our God and our Lord Jesus, he is reminding the Thessalonians that they serve the same God that they are part of the body of Christ. They are brothers and sisters because of Christ. And I think then with this, with the way he wrote this, there's an implicit call for the Thessalonians to be praying the same thing. That they would be praying, Lord, would you bring Paul to us because we long to see him too. We want to see our brother. In many ways, our father in the faith. And further, it's a clear counterpoint to the hindrance of Satan In regard to his previous attempts to return to Thessalonica, Paul knows the Lord must work, and and, and so this very clearly demonstrates his strong belief in God's sovereignty, his ability to direct the hearts of men. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God is the one to whom we pray. God is the one who works. Second, he asked that the Lord would make them to increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. To increase. He 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 wants their love not to be stagnant but to be ever growing, ever increasing. Their love was already strong. He's that's, that's come apart, across in the in in report, but he desires it to be greater. And he desires that it, it abounds, that, there, that, that it would be there in super abundant proportions, that it would overflow. And this prayer, actually, when you, if you look at Second Thessalonians um, chapter 1, verse 3, he actually wrote this. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing like having a prayer journal there. Paul's like, okay, I prayed it. God answered it. Amen. Let, thanks. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> it's wonderful to see that. And I, I, I said we would get back to this, but again, why is love so much a focus for Paul? He talks about faith and love. Why is love so much a focus? Well, because it was a focus of our Lord. John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You could look at John 15. And then Romans 12:9 and 10, "Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection." And we could go on. We could look at first 1 Peter 122 or First 1 Peter four eight and numerous other passages. The fact is, is love more really than any other virtue defines the Christian. It defines the Christian community, at least it's supposed to. If you have an unloving church, I think you have an oxymoron. You're missing something essential. You just have a gathering of people. And why, I'm not really sure. And folks, this love is not just for fellow believers, but it's for all. It's one thing to love your friends. Okay? It's another to love your enemies. But yet that's what God does. It's what he did. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. How well does our love imitate Christ? How well are we at loving our enemies? How well are we actually even just at loving our neighbors? See, Paul longs for their love to increase, and really to increase to the manner in which he loves them, which he's demonstrated over and over and over again in this letter, which actually gives us some commentary on what he's praying If you want to see what it is to love well, read. Read this letter. Read the rest of Scripture, and we can see what it is to love. Well, then the third part of this benedictory prayer is the purpose, the the so that clause. So that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. To be blameless in holiness. In in some sense, that's fulfilling the law. It's living in the manner that is worthy of our calling. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adulteries, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Loving well will further establish these believers. It's evidence of God being at work. Paul desires that they would be blameless above reproach. Now, certainly, this only happens, being blameless and above reproach only happens in union with Christ, in coming to Him. He is the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf. So, so it is being justified in Christ. It's being forgiven by Him and blameless in that union. But another aspect that I think Paul is pointing to is growing in our personal holiness, in our sanctification, in our Christ likeness in the day to day, so that when our Lord returns, we in our own consciousness, in our own hearts, will have known that we have walked by faith and in love, grounded and rooted and rested in the gospel. So he longs for that and he prays that they would be blameless in holiness. That's what we should all aspire to, is to be blameless in holiness, which, first and foremost, as I said, is taking hold of Christ. That's the only way we can truly be blameless in holiness, but then growing in how we look and match that, that we match the profession of our faith. So, then, folks, as we wrap this up, what do we take away? Prayerfully, the Spirit is at work in your hearts and will guide you further, because the Lord will return, and we do not want to be asleep at the wheel. Where I want to focus, what struck me, just super brief, is what struck me in this really is the comfort and encouragement that we have in one another as we stand fast in the Lord. It's, it's that communal aspect of the body of Christ. It's the connection we have in this community. We are far more connected than we consider ourselves to be, and it would do us good to remember that truth. You can see Paul's heart throughout this letter, and so much more here. So, so my prayer, my encouragement, is that we would be a people who love our community well, stand fast in our faith and in our love, who give thanks regularly for God's work, and who pray that we would be more and more established in that faith and love. And that as we do so, we would be people who point each other to Christ at work in our lives. That we would be people who, as we're going to sing in just a moment, would say, yet not I, but through Christ in me, that I can do this. It is Christ's work, and let's give thanks to God for all that He has done in us. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that You would be at work. We thank You for the way You have designed Your people to work together, to be in community with one another, to encourage one another in faith and in love. Father, may we be a people who give thanks for that growth, for that steadfastness, and be a people who encourage one another in it, and who in all of it, we would rely on our Savior. Lord, we love you, and we pray in Christ's name, amen.